Today is Wednesday, March 23rd, and it's time for some Portnoy Potpourri on the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. It's time for the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. Here's the cock father himself, Keith Olson. This is Rogers again to the 25, 20, 15, 10. Welcome in to the Worldwide Wednesday Show on the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast, episode number 908. And in just a couple minutes, we will be joined by our good friend, Ben Portnoy from GoGamecocks.com. We'll get his thoughts on the coaching search that has ended with Lamont Paris as the next head coach of the Gamecocks. We will talk plenty of spring football. Shane Beamer meeting with the media yesterday. Today, uh, you'll get a couple of assistant coaches meeting with the media today. I have a feeling you do not want to miss tonight's Garnet and Black Town Hall. That will be at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. J.C. Sherbert will be popping in to answer questions about the coaching search, about Sean Miller, about Ray Tanner and Chance Miller, and about Lamont Paris, and probably a lot of football stuff as well, so that should be fun. Uh, Last night... Gamecock baseball gets uh, taken down by the Citadel at Joe Riley Park. Bulldogs walked it off with two runs in the bottom of the ninth inning after the Gamecocks led 3-2. to two. Michael Braswell could not get it done last night as a closer. Walked the first two hitters. Then was called for a balk. Uh, So they loaded, that that put runners at second and third. So they intentionally issued an intentional pass, loaded the bases, and uh, the Citadel got back-to-back hits, station-to-station, the first to tie it, and the second one won it, and the Gamecocks, Dropped their fourth straight with Vanderbilt coming to town. And uh, like I said, I think the only Gamecock 
that wanted the basketball coaching search to linger is Mark Kingston. I think he could be in trouble. Uh, we're not there yet, uh, but we could be walking down that road. So uh, at any rate, let's... Uh, Let's get ready and let's get right to it and uh, bring in Ben Portnoy from GoGameCox.com. All right, so one piece of breaking news here. Uh, this morning, Texas A&M has named Georgia women's basketball coach Joni Taylor to replace the retired Gary Blair. Wow. Wow. All I can say is Ross Bjork is no Ray Tanner. Uh, wow. Taylor quoted as saying, I am extremely excited and humbled to have the opportunity to lead the Texas A&M women's basketball program. You're talking about a program that's rich in tradition and an institution that leads not only in the SEC, but the country. I've known Gary Blair since I was a player at the University of Alabama, and he was the coach at Arkansas. The way he led young women on and off the court and was a steward of our game, something I've always admired. And clearly, you got to admire Ross Bjork and his enthusiasm for just furthering Texas A&M's program. Wow. I wonder I wonder what they I wonder what they paid her. Hey, so two things on that. One, uh I wonder if Georgia goes for Ole Miss head coach uh Coach Yo, uh, Coach Yolette McPhee McEwen, um, and what that does with Janiah Barker, and then what are the dominoes of this? Does Jolette Law get her second chance at a head coaching job after South Carolina season ends? And with Taylor going to A&M, does that open the door for Barker to South Carolina? Wow. Major moves by Ross Bjork. I'm telling you, he's no Ray Tanner. He's the, be he's the best athletic director in the country. He's got the uh, deep pockets, the coffers, the endowment. And Texas A&M is taking no prisoners on becoming extremely relevant in the SEC across the landscape of all sports, men and women. You got to give it to Ross Bjork. What a big time hire that is. Wow. One, and we welcome in for our Wednesday Portnoy Potpourri, the jack of all trades, the man himself, 
Ben Portnoy. Ben, how's it going, my friend? Keith, that's a hell of an introduction. I'm, I'm here for it. That was good, man. I need you as like my like daily hype man or something yes. like that. That was good. That was good. But uh, we're all good here, man. We're we're chilling. We're hanging in there. Uh, you know, haven't uh, things are hopefully slowing down with basketball here a little bit, and uh, I'm uh, I'm gearing up to cover the Masters in a couple of weeks. So I'm uh, I got some some fun stuff down the pipe. Nice. Yeah, I think I have a caffeine-induced dopamine high going on right now because, as we talked before we came on the air here, uh, baseball last night was just unbelievable, but I won't uh, get into all of that. And so we got to lead off the show kind of something that's, uh, you know, probably – uh, not out of your zone, but let's say it's kind of like uh, in foul territory. Joni Taylor <laughs> jumps from Georgia to Texas A&M in just a stunning move. Somebody that was a longtime assistant at Georgia for Andy Landers. And I think this just continues to prove that uh, Ross Bjork is no Ray Tanner. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally woke up this morning and, uh, you know, I, that was actually the first thing I saw was the, the, the news that Joni was leaving Georgia for Texas A&M. And I guess for context, for people who are listening, like I covered women's basketball at Mississippi State for two years. Like I'm, I'm still pretty plugged in, in the sport and I keep up with it a pretty good bit and help out a little bit here and there. But, um, you know, so I think like looking at it with a little bit of perspective, like that's a big, big big move and I think you know you look at how Joni had kind of gotten Georgia rolling again and uh, you know obviously lost in the second round but it has you know a lot of talent coming in if I read right I think they've got a top 10 class coming in next year as well like Georgia's in a really good position to win right now and and obviously you know did really well under Andy Landers but um, you know to see her jump from Georgia to A&M I mean look we all know that A&M can throw around money that a lot of schools can't but you know, it's not like Georgia's a school that doesn't invest in women's basketball. I mean, that's been a long-standing, like, good women's basketball program and, and, and frankly, elite for a long time. Um, and, and, you know, you look at what Gary Blair did, obviously, is, is, you know, goes without saying how impressive that was, but, you know, his run was. But it's really interesting. I mean, you know, Joni's a, a Mississippi native. She's from Meridian, Mississippi, which is sort of central Mississippi, for those who don't know the geography. And, um, you know, Gary's very much like a very Texas-y guy, so it's, it's a little bit of an interesting fit. Obviously, Gary's had coach at Arkansas for a long time as well before that, which, which kind of fits that as well. So it's an interesting fit on that front, but, um, you know, I think that I, I, I like the move. I mean, you know, we've seen Ross Bjork go out and hire big names and took another big swing and getting Joni Taylor. Uh, I mean, it's a big deal, and it's going to have ripple effects in the SEC, especially given where Georgia was at least, or, you know, in the last really kind of – two and a half years, sort of COVID and on, um, the two seasons after that have given you a glimpse of how good Georgia could be under Joni Taylor. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a really good program to inherit for someone. And I'm fascinated to see how this kind of shakes out now. I mean, you look at the moves Ross Bjork has made. Jimbo Fisher. Okay. Buzz Williams. Jim Sloshnagel from TCU, one of the top five baseball coaches in the country. And now Joni Taylor. And so, look, I think we all know 
Stegman Coliseum is basically a cockroach-infested, abandoned schoolhouse uh, for most of the year. And I just don't really think Georgia cares. I mean, so here's my top five sports currently at Georgia on March 23rd, 2022. One, football. Two, football recruiting. Three, spring football. Four, Kirby Smart in the offseason. And five, women's gymnastics. Yeah, it's no, it's and I think like, you know, you run into this a little bit with schools like LSU is pretty is a good example kind of on the same front not to like avoid, you know, jump the question, but you're right. Like a school like Georgia, a school like LSU, like where is women's basketball fall in the pecking order? And it's a it's a legitimate question. And I think that that's why, you know, at schools like, uh, say, South Carolina or Mississippi State or, uh, you know, A&M even, it's, it's a little bit higher in the pecking order. And I think that matters as far as investment and all that goes into it. And I think, like you said, I mean, I don't know where women's basketball falls in that pecking order, but I think that it's probably fifth, sixth, seventh. I mean, you know, you go down that list, like baseball factors in at some on some level, like it, it's, you know, football, football recruiting, basically, you know, you run down the list and, and uh, you know, that's a real question is, especially because Georgia was a little bit down for, for that time after Andy Landers and sort of before Joni got things rolling, um, you know, you wonder like, okay, how has that affected where Georgia is and Georgia women's basketball is thought of in sort of the consciousness of of the Georgia fan base. And I mean, look, I can't necessarily speak to that, but I think that it's a legitimate question. And you wonder like the way that A&M does invest in women's basketball, the way it's been a power really recently. Um, and I guess you can say the same for Georgia, but you know, like Gary Blair won a national championship, what, five, six, seven years ago. Like it's not that far gone that, and, and, you know, Kennedy Carter and all of that, like the players that he was able to reel in at the tail end of his career, like, it's a really good program and a really stable program and one that's been, you know, pretty much elite since Gary got there. Um, and I think that, you know, it's fascinating and, and it just, you know, I, it, it does, like you said, but sort of bring the question of like, okay, where does women's basketball stack up for Georgia? How invested in it are they? You know, again, I mean, they, on the men's side, they went out and hired a guy like Mike White. So, you know, maybe they make a splash higher and, and sort of try and thrust a little excitement into it. And I think that, you know, there should be excitement about Georgia women's basketball right now because, you know, Johnny Taylor got it back to a point where it should be, I think, you know, for all intents and purposes. And I think that the SEC is better when Georgia is good um, in women's basketball. But, you know, again, it's it's I don't want to say it's a crossroads because that's probably a little dramatic and a little bit overstating, but it's it's certainly a it's a certainly a legitimate question to see where they go with the hire uh, is, you know, do they swing on big fish? Do they hire go the assistant route? Where does it kind of end up? And I think that's, you know, obviously something that'll play out over the next week or so, two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. I think uh, Gary Blair, they won the national championship in 2011. No, I think 2011. 2011. Yeah. 2011. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, I mean, baseball is probably tied with women's gymnastics for fifth. I think Mike White likes that job at Georgia because I really don't think they care about basketball at Georgia. And so, you know, he can have some photo ops with Kirby and whatever rapper from Atlanta they bring in for the spring football game. And 
the women's gymnastics coach. And as long as he's over 500, he'll probably be good. Um, Janiah Barker, the number three recruit in the class of 2022, she signed with Georgia. Uh, you know, a Florida native, I have to wonder what that does for that. And then does Georgia, do they look to poach a Kyra Elsey or a uh, Yolette uh, McPhee McEwen? Or do they go outside uh, the SEC? Do they go, you know, like to Creighton or South Dakota or someplace like that? I mean, that, that'll be interesting uh, to follow. Jeff Wall is looking to Louisville again. I mean, for the yeah, one, Jeff Wall. Right, like you know, it's it's interesting. It, it's genuinely a real question. It's like I think I, I mean, you know, we talk about it a little bit with like South Carolina baseball, for example, and not to you know get into a whole coaching search thing on that, but like you know, South Carolina baseball is a top ten job in college baseball, and you can kind of swing for the fences if you're hiring for that kind of position. And I think Georgia women's basketball, like it's probably a what top fifteen job in college basketball, women's college basketball, like. They can, and, and I think Georgia, this happens, you know, especially in football as well, but like Georgia women's basketball can go big game hunting in a way that maybe some other programs can't. Yeah, I mean, that'll be interesting for sure. All right, so I did want to get your, just your thoughts on uh, the coaching search that kind of played out too much in the public and every time a coaching search does that, it doesn't end with a with the desired result. Look, I like Lamont Paris, okay, uh, but having an hour drive yesterday to the baseball field, and then last night an exhausted uh, wind burn. I got wind burn yesterday. The wind was blowing so hard. Um, I kind of had a, a time to just block out all the noise and everything and think about it and so here's where I am, okay? Yes, South Carolina wanted Sean Miller. They were going down the road. Something happened there, okay? Probably something stupid that Ray Tanner did uh, that they didn't like, but it played out too much in the public. And so when Sean Miller turns you down publicly, essentially, the next two guys on your list who were in no particular order, Dennis Gates and Matt McMahon, they are not taking that job because they are not going to be looked at as a second or third choice. So then, because you've let it play out in public, uh, the dynamic changes. Then you have to go further down the list. Look, I like Lamont Parrish. You look... If you dig deep into what he did there at UT Chattanooga and you dig deep at the impact he made on Wisconsin's program during that seven-year stretch, which, by the way, South Carolina fans, uh, diehard basketball fans, would probably cut off a body part to have a national final, a final four, and like four Sweet 16s in a seven-year period. Um, it's impressive, but I didn't know this and I just found this out and I don't know why I didn't know this. The dude has no social media presence whatsoever. You cannot be 
a big-time head coach without a social media presence. And I have to wonder, why the hell didn't Ray Tanner think about that? I mean, maybe they're going to make him a Twitter account and immediately a lot of people will follow, but it, it sounds like this guy doesn't deal with social media at all. And to me, if there's a red flag, to me, that's the one red flag uh, when it comes to big-time recruiting is you have got to be extremely active on social media. Look, Shane Beamer, example number one. <laughs> there's a piece of me that thinks maybe he's smart to avoid Gamecock Twitter sometimes. <laughs> but no doubt about that. Of it. <laughs> there's a piece of me that's like, oh, maybe he's playing chess while we're playing checkers. But, uh, no, I, I think that uh, – I, I think, you know, I think it's an interesting hire. And I kind of wrote this yesterday. You know, I ranked some of the SEC hires yesterday. And, and now that we've kind of come to a point where it's a little bit settled. And, um, you know, I think that, like, the thing that I that I keep coming back to, and it's kind of what you were saying with, with Lamont Paris, is that, you know, it's not that I don't think Lamont Paris can work at South Carolina. I really do. Like, I think he's a good coach. He's a guy with, a you know, an NCAA tournament on his resume. Uh, you know, he, he did good things in Chattanooga, won a lot of games. Uh, after getting things rolling after two years, had a really inherited a really, really young team and built it up through the transfer portal, getting older, all that kind of comes with that. Um, and obviously, you know, people say, you know, okay, he made the tournament on a lucky shot this year over Furman or, you know, counterpoint to that is like, yeah, okay. Like he also came one missed basket away, like literally one missed jumper away at the buzzer from beating Illinois. Like if they're in the second round of the sweet 16 right now, is there a different shine on this higher than there is right now? And I think that's legit. Like, I think that's a, you know, a legitimate argument, but um, you know, what I would say is again, is like, it's not that I don't think Lamont Paris can work. Like I think on paper, he's a pretty good hire. Like he worked for Greg, he was a Greg guards number two when Greg took over at Wisconsin. He was worked for Bo Ryan for five years. Like those are good people to have worked with. He's worked in a lot of different places. Um, you know, all of that said, I, I think it's just that, again, it's not that the hire was bad. It's that the way that it went down is I think the biggest problem. And I think that if you're South Carolina, like South Carolina pretty clearly had a number one and number two option. They wanted to go after Sean Miller, when that fell through, they wanted to go to Dennis Gates. And, and I think that, you know, I'm not the first person to say that. I think that, you know, that's been reported a couple of different places. Like that was generally speaking. And, it, and if you just look at kind of the, the way this kind of thing shook out, like that's kind of what happened here. At least it looks like on the surface, right? You know, not to purely speculate, but, um, you know, and it, at least from the outside looking in, what it seems like is that, you know, once that happened, everything kind of went to hell from there. And it was like, okay. And I'm not saying like you should have to have a CDE option, but when you're in South Carolina, if you think that, Hey, Sean, if you get an inkling that Sean Miller's not going to work, like what's the process to finding that next guy. And if you see Dennis Gates is going to go to Mizzou, what's the process of seeing that next guy. And it's again, like, like you said, Keith, I think like, because this thing played out so publicly and turned into such a shit show, at least in the public sphere, it seemed like that's why I think it's hard is that, you almost set up a guy like, the, you know, like, like Lamont Paris for, I don't want to say failure, but like, you know, the, the idea of getting people excited and rallying around a new hire and all of that, like, that's hard to do. And I think, you know, I don't want to say you lose the press conference before it even happens. And again, there's far more important things than winning a press conference, but, you know, it, it sets you back a little bit just because it's pretty clear that Lamont Paris was probably name what, three, four, five on the list, give or take. 
And, you know, and then there's the other faction of people that'll be ticked off that BJ Mackey didn't get the job. Now, I would argue that BJ Mackey wasn't necessarily ready for a job like this. And, you know, when you're, you know, I, I think BJ is a really good coach and I think he will be a, a head coach at some point, but I think BJ is the kind of guy that, you know, he's what th the third guy, a third assistant on the bench at Wake Forest is, you know, all things considered is still, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, a little bit green in college basketball coaching. I mean, obviously he played professionally for a long time and that's a big deal. And I know he's beloved here in Columbia and, and all of that. And all of that is important. It's just that for, for a guy to inherit an SEC job right now, like, you know, if he's not a South Carolina alum, we're not even having this conversation. And I think that that's the thing that you look at. And, and sure, I get it. Like there are arguments that, hey, he could have made inroads with high school coaches. He would have hired a good staff, all that. I, I get that. That's, those are valid arguments. It's just that, again, like I think on paper, Lamont Paris made was kind of a, I don't know, like I, I don't want to say his resume was a no-brainer over BJ, but I, I think it kind of was on some level. And I think that, um, you know, if you take a step back and look at it from just a purely like college basketball hiring standpoint, I guess. And, and I think that that's the thing that's uh, unfortunate here is that like, Again, I think Lamont's a good coach. He clearly did good things at Chattanooga. You know, the understanding we've gotten is that people at Wisconsin loved him. He was a big part of what they did and bringing in some of those guys um, that helped Wisconsin get to the national championship game and what, three sweet 16s in his time there? I mean, you know, that, that was a good, good, good Wisconsin team at the end of uh, Bo Ryan's tenure. And I think that, you know, that's a big piece. Like, he's been a key cog in a major college basketball program. And, and Big Ten basketball is – is its own thing and you know having experienced it and grown up with it and you know gone to school with it and covered it and you know like i can speak to that and i think that um you know on those levels it's, there's reason to be excited about lamont paris but again it's it's the fact that this search became such a public sort of brouhaha and you know and, and the fact that sean miller pretty publicly turned down south carolina for xavier and, and again like and I'll, i mean let's be real like xavier on paper is a better basketball job than south carolina I, 95% of the time. I mean, folks here might argue different, but, or differently, but, you know, I would say that Xavier is a pure basketball job. It's a big East job. It's a power conference job. It's, you know, going to devote the resources to basketball. It's just different. And that's not a knock on South Carolina. It's not that not South Carolina can't hire good people. It's just different. And I think that, um, you know, like I said, I mean, the reason, the, the way this played out publicly is the reason this was a problem more than it is Lamont Paris being a bad fit or a bad coaching hire, I think. I think anyway, at least, you know, what, 24 hours out from this, basically. I mean, obviously we got to see them play games and, you know, I think really this is going to be like a three, four year process, but I think that, you know, it'd be immediate if we're, you know, making knee jerk reactions, like that's how I see it. All right. So I'm going to uh, disagree with you on the big East. Okay. The big East on paper is a power conference, but it's more of a conglomerate of has-beens and mid-major programs. Uh, you know, hello, Patrick Ewing, O and 19. Uh, DePaul, Butler, uh, St. John's, okay. Chris Mullen and Louis Karnaseka uh, are not walking through that door. Uh, Seton Hall, Shaheen Holloway probably is walking through that door. Uh, Marquette has cycled through multiple coaches. Shaka Smart uh, got out ahead of the posse at Texas to take that job. I mean, you basically have Providence and Villanova and a bunch of has-beens. It's easier to win if you're Sean Miller in that league than in the SEC because 
The SEC is full of shark-infested waters. When you look at John Calipari, Rick Barnes, Musselman, uh, you know, all these guys that are in the league now. I mean, look, uh, you know, Oates at Alabama, Bruce Pearl at Tennessee. Despite the fact the SEC, I wanted to really talk shit about the Big Ten and uh, the SEC essentially bottomed out uh, in the tournament. But, I mean, that's the bottom line. Okay, the SEC is a power conference. They have power coaches in place. Uh, the big and the money e- to pay coaches. Yes, and look, Sean Miller did not get anywhere near the compensation or the staff money or the or the facilities upgrade promises at Xavier that he got at South Carolina. And so I'll just tease this out on the free show on tonight's Garnet and Blacktown Hall on overtime. Uh, we'll get into uh, the Sean Miller proposed contract at South Carolina, which was agreed upon until somebody came in and tried to put a stipulation in there that caused the whole thing to unravel. So Lamont Paris probably having a press conference on Thursday. Look, Darren Horn and Will Muschamp won the press conference. Okay. I'm not about win the press conference. I'm about this guy, one, recruiting his own roster. Number two, immediately setting up meetings with Julian Phillips and Gigi Jackson and their families. Get them in your office. And three, have a powwow with the Columbia Basketball Mafia. The AAU guys, the longtime high school coaches, the decision, you know, the power brokers, the powers that be. Uh, and then he's got to hire a great staff. I was told that was one of the things that was appealing was I'm not saying he had a PowerPoint like Shane Beamer but he had names of big-time guys that he felt that he could bring with him to South Carolina. And so to me, whether it's B.J. Mackey or Lamont Paris, I think either one could work. But what's the staff going to look like? Because you got to have a strong staff uh, coming in to the SEC for the first time. Your, your thoughts. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, I think like, that's the thing that not to forget, you know, for folks outside, you know, who aren't sort of in the inside or talking to people about this kind of thing all the time. It's like coaching, like when you're interviewing a coach, there's generally conversations about, okay, who in theory would be on a hypothetical staff, you know, how, who would you want to bring in? Who's maybe options A and B say, or maybe C even. Um, and I think like those are important things to cross your T's and dot your I's on when you, when you do interview and talk to people and that kind of thing. And I think that, you know, Lamont Paris, again, is like a guy who's well-respected in college basketball, well-respected, especially in Big Ten territory around Wisconsin, which, you know, should give should give people some some hope and faith. And, um, yeah, like you said, I mean, I, I think that the biggest thing that Lamont Paris is going to – if he's able to hire the people he needs to hire, this should be fine. It's just that, you know, he's 
again, like the geographic fit isn't necessarily perfect and, and is gives me a little bit of trepidation as far as sort of how this might work. Obviously, you know, I think Chattanooga is the, the furthest out he's coached and, and certainly like South Carolina is a little bit different than say coaching in, I don't know, Mississippi, Louisiana, like it's just a little bit different and I get that. Um, but I, I think that it's a, I think that this can be fine. I think, but again, I think it's like you said, I think, you know, we had this conversation with Shane Beamer of like, who's he going to hire and who's he going to, who's he going to fill around him? And I think that that's going to be kind of the thing to watch at least here as the next few weeks unfold as, as staff, you know, as you build out a staff, as people transfer in and out and those kinds of things, like that's just going to happen. There's going to be natural attrition because of a coaching change. That's always going to happen. And it's always happened in college sports. But um, I, I think that that's, like you said, like realistically, South Carolina is probably, you know, Lon Paris is probably going to have to hire someone on his staff to be, you know, involved in South Carolina or someone with pretty legit South Carolina ties or regional ties and things like that. And I think that's, you know, I, I don't know what that name is right now. I don't have a good answer for you right now, but I think that that's something that like, it would be surprising if there's not someone like that on this staff or someone with at least SEC experience. Yeah, no doubt. So last thing before we talk, we'll transition to football. Another reason why I like the hire, Ben, is because Wisconsin, it is not the top brand in the Big Ten, right? It's not Michigan. It's not Michigan State. It's not Indiana, Illinois, Iowa. I mean, there are a lot of particularly basketball Schools, you could even throw Ohio State in there, okay? Uh, and so what I like is he's been at a, a tough place that was a big winner that had specific disadvantages going against larger brands within their own league and had to do more with less, had to develop guys, had to find guys, had to play together as a team instead of being a star-driven system. And so to me, look, you're, you're South Carolina, you're not Kentucky, you're not Tennessee, you're not Arkansas, Alabama, Auburn, okay? You need somebody that understands how to do that and has been through that. And to me, I think that may be the most appealing part other than just the success and how he brought Chattanooga back from the abyss, basically under when Matt McCall bailed out of there, um, is, you know, being a part of seven years, the blueprint of Wisconsin basketball. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I, yeah, sorry to cut you off if I did, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're right. Like that's the thing that people don't realize is that, you know, there are bigger brands in the SEC than, or excuse me, in the big 10 than Wisconsin. And I think that, you know, Lamont Paris was part of what, you know, I mean, for one, those teams were good. So that's part of it, but you know, Lamont Paris, Greg Gard, like those were part of the guys who made Wisconsin basketball, I guess for lack of a better term, cool. Like they brought in guys like Khalil Iverson, Nigel Hayes and, and, uh, you know, who am I missing? I, if I read right the other day, that Tyler Sam Hero Decker, was Wisconsin, at least until Frank uh, Kaminsky, uh, until Lamont Paris left for the Chattanooga job. So like he was bringing in like really, really legit prospects to a place that, you know, it, 
people probably honestly like Wisconsin football is a pretty good comparison and that like there was a little bit of a developmental program wasn't necessarily hiring like high-end high-end recruits and and, and or hiring bringing in I should say maybe hiring now in the NIL days I don't know what we're calling it now but signing top-end recruits uh and I think that like that's something to circle is that you know Lamont Paris is a guy who did that at Wisconsin and and I think that South Carolina is a school that because of the built-in geography you don't run into the same problems that you do in football for example in, in basketball in South Carolina I think and that like you can sign two or three kids from the state of South Carolina and probably be in pretty good shape whereas in football like realistically you're gonna sign what like three or four kids five kids six kids in a class like you're gonna have to fill out your class other well other ways and I think that if South Carolina can do that, if, if Lamont Paris can hire the right people, can get in with South Carolina high school basketball coaches, like, I think it's going to be a good fit. And I think that, you know, and, and I guess the counterpoint is, like, look, Frank McGuire basically recruited half of his teams from the Bronx in New York City in Manhattan. So, you know, I, I guess get guys from where you can get them and figure it out once they get there. But, um, you know, I, I think that, like, again, like, Paris has recruited a lot of different corners of the country. Uh, he got asked on Chattanooga radio yesterday uh, on ESPN, the ESPN affiliate yesterday, kind of about the fit and, and recruiting South Carolina. And he basically said, he was like, I'll be honest, like, I, I don't have a ton of ties. To South, like, I haven't recruited South Carolina a ton, but, you know, I feel pretty confident saying that, like, I've recruited, I'm, you know, speaking for Lamont Paris, but he was saying that he felt confident that, you know, the places that he's been, he's been able to recruit in state. And, and that's not been an issue. And, you know, obviously, I think, like, you want a head coach who's going to say that, but I think it's, you know, I think for people who are maybe have some trepidation or worried about it, like, I think it's good to hear, um, you know, you hear him say that. And I think that, again, like you said, I think he's smart enough to know that, you know, I would think he's smart enough to know that he'll probably need to hire someone with some South Carolina ties uh, to the staff. Like in a way that, you know, Shane Beamer hired a guy like Eric Kimry, for example, or, or people like that, maybe not exact X's, you know, it's maybe a little apples to oranges, but, but something Justin like Stapp. that where you have someone who's plugged in, um, to the high school basketball world in South Carolina. And I think that that's, that's important. So I, I think, I think sometimes geographic fit is a little bit overplayed. Um, I think it happens especially in football, but I think it happens in basketball too. But I think that, you know, I, I don't worry about that as much as I think folks might. And, and I think that you have to wait to see where the staff is at by the time you have to see where the thing is at when the staff's filled out, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking for a Justin step and a Torian Gray kind of hires. Those are the kind of guys I think Lamont Paris needs in basketball as that kind of equivalency, not a uh, Marcus Satterfield, you know, or even, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the closest thing to Eric Kimry is Brian Steele, but Brian Steele's very familiar with the Carolinas. To me, that could be a guy to keep as your number three and then bring in two other guys. Uh, so we'll see. All right, so Shane Beamer met with the media yesterday for the second time. A lot of talk about the offense, I think, because on Monday uh, you guys got to meet with several offensive players and so, lots of running back talk, lots of Marshawn Lloyd, Christian Beal Smith, and uh, even on the last question of the press conference, which kind of perked uh, my ears up there towards the end, was the uh, Rashad Amos piece that I've been waiting to hear. 
Like, I don't think anybody knew this dude was out for the year last year. Everybody just assumed, well, he's not worth a crap. He's not playing. But he missed the season because of an injury. I mean, I was wondering because when I saw that guy rip off about a 34-yard run off the goal line against Georgia towards the end of the season, I'm like, wow, that guy's big and he can really run. Uh, Certainly... You know, you had Kevin Harris coming back. You had Zaquandre White. You had um, Marshawn Lloyd and the emergence of Juju McDowell. But, you know, it sounds kind of different. Like, at least through the first four practices, I would say Marshawn Lloyd, Christian Beal Smith, and Rashad Amos may be, uh, you know, the top three. I, I still think Juju is kind of a gadget, situational type player uh just your thoughts on what shane beamer said about the running backs and from your you know the marshawn lloyd uh interview yeah i know i think that you know we're, we're kind of heading into another thing where we see the running back room and you you see all the options and you kind of wonder okay how are they going to make this work i thought it was frankly really interesting going back even a week when when marcus satterfeld i, I think i asked him you know, do you see it as a by committee approach like he did last year? Do you want it to be a true guy? And he said he was pretty blunt. He said, no, like we want it to be one lead back. And I thought that was really fascinating because I think that was not something that South Carolina did necessarily last year. And I think it tells you what set they want out of this spring. And you probably want someone to emerge. And, you know, maybe it happens in fall. And maybe there are games where one guy gets 25 carries and the other guy gets 25, you know, five. And, and it maybe it changes game to game like that as opposed to like every guy gets 10 carries. Um, but I think that, like you said, I mean, I, I think like for all intents and purposes, like this is Marshawn Lloyd's chance to, to kind of take that step, um, you know, and, and to be that guy. And I, and I thought that it was really interesting to hear from him what he said. He was like, you know, this is the best, he said, he was like, this is the best I've felt since I've been in college football. And I think that that's, you know, fair, like uh, Shane Beamer said it and not to sort of, you know, regurgitate it, but like, there's something to be said about coming off an ACL injury and like, you know, a year out, two years out, like there's a mental hurdle with it. There's a, there's a feel to it that takes time. Um, and, you know, obviously, I mean, I've never gone through it, but the understanding I get, right. Like there's just, there's just pieces to it that takes building up over time. It takes really, it can take two full years to, to really get like fully, fully back from a mental standpoint, physical standpoint that, you know, maybe it's physically healed, but there's a piece of like, when you're cutting, do you feel natural, those kinds of things. And I think that Marshawn Lloyd, it seems like, at least from what we were told and, and the brief, things that we've seen feels that way and that's you know important and I think that you know to me um you know if if South Carolina is going to be if I'm a betting man like I like Marshawn Lloyd's chances to be the number one back I think Christian Beal Smith can be that too uh I I kind of see it being between those two guys at least in theory um you know I think Lavoisier Carroll has a really really bright future at some point too but you know, I mean, I think you and I have even talked about this, but Shane Beamer mentioned it yesterday. He was like, let's be real. Lavasier Carroll played defensive back for most of last year at Georgia. Like, yeah, he's played running back for a long time, but still he's transitioning back. And that that's a process that, that happens over the spring and summer and even into the season. So, um, you know, how does Juju McDowell fit in? Is he a guy that you feel like can take 20, 25 carries in a game? I don't know that I feel that way, but I think he's a really good player that needs touches. And, you know, you probably will see some interesting ways that South Carolina will get him involved. But um, like you said, like, I like 
I really like Marshawn Lloyd's chances to be the lead tailback in this, this group. I, I just really do. I think he's a really good player. I think he's a really good fit. Uh, I think he does a lot that you would ask out of a, a running back in this offense. He can catch the ball. Well, he's got some speed. He's frankly a lot, more, a lot stronger than I think you'd realize at his size. Like, I mean, he's what five, nine, 210 pounds. Like he is a ball of muscle and that dude will bowl you over. Um, you know, I've probably mentioned this on the show, but you know, I talked to his high school coach last year at some point and, asked him about it. And he compared him to Brian Westbrook, who played at uh, 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 at the same, uh, under him as well. And obviously went on to Villanova and had a really long career in the, in the NFL, you know, and was kind of that similar mold. Um, and I think that that's, I mean, that's high praise, but I mean, Marshawn Lloyd is that kind of good. And I think it's easy for people to forget that he was, you know, what, one of the five, six, seven best running backs in the country in his class, if not higher. And uh, I think that folks are, at the very least going to get a look at what that might, I get glimpse at what that might look like, whether that's in spring or fall camp or whatever. And, and I think that, you know, if Marshawn Lloyd is full go, like that really, really, really helps the South Carolina offense. Yeah. South Carolina was one of only three programs, I believe to sign an elite 11 quarterback and a five-star running back in the same class in that 2020 class. We also had Jordan Birch, Boogie Huntley, Tonka Hemingway, uh, you know, et al, Mokaba, a lot of guys in that class. Um, you know, I mean, pretty good chance all of those guys are going to be contributors this year. Yeah, I mean, that class is kind of like that's the the foundation for Shane Beamer's program in a lot of respects, and the 2019 guys as well. Um, I mean. I just think that, that that really helped set the stage for him and now what he's done on top of, you know, the transfer portal guys is really gives them a shot to jump shot uh, jump start the program. But, man, Marshawn Lloyd was number one on SportsCenter. He hurdled a guy, came down, and the, guy, the would-be tackler approached him, and he just immediately forearm shivered the guy to the ground and went like, 65 yards for a touchdown. Uh, he's unbelievable. And before his injury, as a true freshman, he was going to be the starting running back at South Carolina. So, you know, I think it's a very diverse group. I think with Juju McDowell, I thought they used him perfectly in the bowl game. They got him on some outside zone runs. They got the ball to him out in space uh, in the – a swing pass in the screen game, and he made plays. To me, you know, kick return, maybe a few more touches, but if he could get eight to ten, maybe a some days 12 touches a game, I think, you know, that's ideal. But you do want that – I mean, you want that guy that is a number one at tailback that can carry the load because – they all get better the more carries they get. They get lathered up. They get a better feel for the game. They get a better feel for the defense, for certain plays. The game just slows down during the game the more carries they get. Yeah. All right, so Dave. I mean, Marcus Satterfield, I was going to say, Marcus Satterfield even pointed to it. He said, he was like, look at what Kevin Harris did in the bowl game. And obviously it helped with the offensive line blocked the way it did. And DK Joyner added another wrinkle to that. But like, Kevin got 31 carries and Sat said, he was like, look, like, 
look at the bowl game and see what happens when you give a guy 30 carries and let him get in the groove. Like that's case in point kind of. And I mean, obviously South Carolina, I would love for a guy to go for 180 yards and a touchdown every week, but you know, that that's in theory what they want it to look like. You know, a guy get 30 touches and go for a hundred, 120 yards, whatever it is. No doubt. So look, the most, uh, the most captain obvious question, but then it kind of came with a carrot at the end on the follow-up was uh, Dave Kloninger asking about naming a starting quarterback. Like, okay, spoiler alert. Spencer Rattler is going to be the starting quarterback at South Carolina this year. Okay. Uh, but I did think Dave's follow-up on any other injuries or players out for spring other than Jaheim Bell. And then Shane Beamer chimes in. Well, I don't necessarily know that Jaheim Bell, you know, he could be back. So you didn't really rule him out. And so, look, South Carolina, they don't have as many tight ends as they had last year. Obviously, Austin Stogner will come in. Uh, this summer, but they talked about how to get more tight ends involved in the in the offense last year. This year, more uh, running backs involved. But Jaheim Bell, how important for you is it for him to get back just to get more live reps with Spencer Rattler? To me, I I, I would really like to see that. I think it's important, and I think, like, it would be good, obviously, for Jaheim Bell to be running routes and getting that kind of thing and building a little bit of chemistry and all of those things. But I don't think Jaheim Bell needs to be in pads anytime soon. You know, like, the dude's going to be fine when you slip pads on him in the fall. It'll be no big deal. Like, like you said, I mean, yes, it would be great if he could be out there for every scrimmage and every practice and everything like that. But I think that I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world as long as he's able to, you know, be a little bit limited, run through some drills and things like that, whatever that might be. I, I think it's okay. I mean, yes, like, yeah, like, you'd obviously want him fully healthy and fully going and everything else, but if he's able to do a little bit of stuff by the end of spring, you know, even if that's without pads on, I think that you can live with that, and it's not, you know, perfect. Adderang are going to make him with the season. All right, so... Uh, for some reason, my speaker went out, and so uh, we missed a lot of that. And so uh, the, just give me the cliff note. So it's, it's important, but it's not absolutely necessary, right? Because, look, we all know yeah. how good Gene Bell is. It's Gene Bell. He's going to catch passes. He's going to make a difference. He's going to get the ball thrown his way or hand it off his way or whatever. I mean, he's going to get his touches. He's going to be fine. Once you slip pads on him in the fall, it should be fine. It's just that, yes, it'd be great to have him, but I, I go in full go. But if he can do a little bit of work here and there, like I think you can live with that. It's not backbreaking or anything like that. All right. So I do want to talk about the offensive line. Uh, I know Marcus Satterfield was asked about that. Shane Beamer's been asked about that, uh, bringing all those guys back. But based off multiple sources, they really would like to move Javon Gwynn or maybe even Vershawn Lee in at center to get their best five guys on the field. Nothing against Eric Douglas. He's just not a very strong guy. He's got long arms. He just cannot uh, get as strong as they would like. Uh, but here's the thing, Dylan Warnham, he's not going to go through very much of spring, right? 
And so right now you've got Jalen Nichols at left tackle, Vershawn Lee at left guard, Eric Douglas at center, Javon Gwynn at right guard, and then Tyshawn Wanamaker, who really looks trimmed down uh, at, at right tackle and played really well at right tackle. So if you're able to, to move either Gwynn or Vershawn Lee into center, you know, you're probably going to push Wanamaker then in at one of those guard spots uh, to make way for Dylan Warnham at right tackle. I don't know how much they're going to be able to do with that until the fall, though. Uh, I do know at least in, in you know, Shell or, or whatever they were doing, Ja'Kai Moore and Dylan Warnham rotated in as the second team tackles, but probably not going to be a whole lot of live work there so just your thoughts on the offensive line and on that potential move of Javon Gwynn to center and then pushing Wanamaker inside to guard and and having Warnham at right tackle yeah I mean I think it makes sense I think it gives you a little bit of versatility and I think that like because of what a center is asked to do I think that Eric Douglas naturally has some versatility because of that like in the way that a center has to play and call things out and look at protections and things like that I think that you know being inside like it I think the transition from going to center to guard is maybe a little easier than guard to center for example um and I think that that helps I mean I think that South Carolina like this is a time to play with some of those combinations and see what works. I think that, you know, I mean, I think Eric Douglas even said it at some point either after the bowl game or maybe even said it the other day, uh, if I remember right. But, you know, <laughs> the thought was like, I think his words were basically like, we were tired of hearing that we suck. And like, it, it's, I get it. Like those guys wanted to be better. And I think like, you know, for better or worse, like they figured it out on some level. And I think that, like you said, I think that moving a guy like Javon Wynn the center might make some sense. Uh, if that's what they end up doing, uh, if you keep Eric Douglas there, it's still a 60 year guy, a guy who played a lot of snaps in theory, that would, that would be a good thing, um, you know, on paper, um, and, and all of that. So I think that, you know, if you're South Carolina, again, like this is a time to experiment with a little bit of that stuff. And, and certainly you'll make adjustments in the season. Like that's part of coaching. Right. But I, I think that if you're looking at the offensive line, I, I'd like to think that, um, I mean, <laughs> let's be real it's a pretty low bar to clear so it doesn't have to be that much better for the offense to be a lot better I think uh I thought it was funny what Eric said the other day Douglas said the other day it was he was talking about Spencer Rattler and protecting for him and he basically said he was like man we got you like we'll, we'll block for you you just need to queue up the band and I thought you know like that it, I think that there's like a level of confidence that these guys have now after having you know played the way they did against Florida, played the way they did against Auburn, played the way they did against North Carolina, and even like in spurts against Missouri. Um, you know, I think that helps and it gives you an idea of what this group can be when, when it's clicking. And I think it just, you know, it took some time and obviously there were a lot of issues and it certainly doesn't excuse the, the play for, you know, the bulk of last year. But I think that, um, you know, at some point South Carolina figured it out on some level and the hope would be that you can translate that to the season. And, like you said, if you're moving some guys around, mixing some pieces, like this is the time to do that. All right. So the last piece I want to talk about here is wide receiver. And, you know, obviously Josh Van returns. That's really big. But based off what I've been hearing, the top two wide receivers of the offseason have been Juice Wells and a finally healthy and coached up Xavier Leggett, who is 
just been a freak in the weight room. Can he translate that onto the field like he did making difficult catches on the sideline against Auburn last year in the back of the end zone against Vanderbilt to win the game and even kind of a tough catch on the sideline in the bowl game looked like they rolled him out there with the ones uh, to start and so your thoughts on Juice Wells, Xavier Leggett, Josh Van, and then, you know, EJ Jenkins, who I think is going to be a full-time wide receiver. And Corey Rucker is uh, still on campus today as well. I think that one is trending to South Carolina. We'll see. He was at Dawn Staley's house yesterday, uh, and he was talking shit about Ole Miss, so I like that. <laughs> Corey's a good player, man. I, I like. I've got some folks I know on that Arkansas State staff, and they've got. They they've said like if that dude like gets in the right situation, like he's gonna be a really really good player. So I know uh, it's interesting, but yeah, like you said, I mean, how does Xavier Leggett fit into to this group? I don't know. I think he's a guy that has always been. You know, I mean, he had his moments last year, right? He caught that touchdown pass against Vanderbilt to win the game. Um, had a few catches here and there, but it's it just never been quite consistent enough as a as a pass catcher and. You know, it, it seems like, it, you know, in the couple of games that we saw him, was, was a, is a pretty good route runner, can give you something. It's just how does he kind of fit? And I mean, if Xavier Leggett comes on strong and you throw in guys like Josh Van and Juice Wells and, and maybe Corey Rucker and, and, you know, DK Joyner, like this receiver group looks a lot different than it did a year ago where you're thinking, okay, who the hell is going to catch these 130 balls that went to Shai Smith? Like it, it just it, – it's – you don't have that fear as much. Like I think you feel – you know, I don't know that you'll necessarily see something like you did last year where, um, you know, Josh Van catches, what, 65 balls or whatever it was. Jaheim Bell caught, like, 35, 40 balls. Like, those guys are pretty far and away the clear, you know, top guys. But, you know, I could really see, um, you know, I, I could see that South Carolina ends up doing something. I mean, you're going to see the, the, the reception sort of spread out amongst a lot, among a lot of guys uh, as well, and I think that's a big deal. All right, Ben, great stuff. So as uh, my yard guy starts mowing the lawn right on cue every time I record a Wednesday podcast, um, tell us what you got coming up at GoGamecocks.com at TheStateSports.com. Yeah, all sorts of good stuff through the rest of spring ball. And obviously, we'll be covering baseball here. And I, literally, just now, I just got an email in my inbox that there will be a board of trustees meeting tomorrow at noon. So, uh, that's uh, coaching contract is on the agenda. So, do without what you will. Well, but, wonder uh, wonder who that could be for. I'm sorry? Wonder who that could be for. Right, exactly. Like, I don't know if Sean Miller's back in town or what, but... <laughs> uh, It'll be, uh, I would expect that to, to get resolved tomorrow, um, and we'll see. But, again, like, we'll have spring football. Obviously, I'll be at the Masters in a couple of weeks. We'll have coverage for you all from there and, and all sorts of other good stuff coming down the pipe. So uh, stay tuned. We, got, we always got good stuff coming down the pipe for you. All right, so that'll be a wrap for today's uh, show. Lamont Paris press conference probably tomorrow afternoon. Uh, we'll have J.C. Sherbert on. Don't miss the Garnet Black Town Hall tonight at 7 p.m. If you're not a VIP member, it's easy to sign up. 
You will love it. I guarantee it. And so that is all for episode number 908, the Worldwide Wednesday edition, Portnoy Potpourri. I'm Keith Alsep. I am out of here, and I do want to apologize for the uh, gremlins on the audio today. All right? Y'all take care, and uh, I'll be back tonight on the Garnet and Black Town Hall.